One night I was just so motivated, I wrote in the little memo section, I wrote, I miss you, Lost. And I really, really miss that show. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost. Most weeks I look at another episode of ABC's Lost, but today a special episode. Today is going to be a shorter podcast featuring an interview with Pete from geekversusgeek.com. If you've listened to the podcast recently, you know I've been uh, temporarily dealing with some uh, storage issues and having enough uh, having enough space available for the podcast on my, uh, my storage provider and all that. But uh, boring technical issues aside... Uh, um, that's why I'm bringing you this uh, shorter interview today. Uh, a quick note that uh, since the podcast has started, there have been Friday releases. I've been releasing on Fridays. Um, this episode is releasing on a Friday. There's going to be no new podcast on Friday, July 29th. And then uh, after that, uh, the podcast will be releasing on Mondays, including the podcast for Exodus Part 2 releasing on Monday, August 1st. So with that, let's get to the interview that I conducted with Pete a few days ago. I started out by asking Pete about his uh, memories of watching the very first episode of Lost. Well, uh, it was a memorable night for me. Uh, the night the show aired was my 29th birthday, September 22nd, 2004, which is also the date that uh, Oceanic 815 took its... Uh, fateful trip and wound up on uh, the island. Um, I remember watching it. Uh, we were talking about, rewind a little bit, we were talking about it in terms of, well, what was the date? And it was your assertion it was a different date. And I said, I'm pretty sure it's September 22nd, 2004, because it's my birthday. Um, so like just about everybody else, uh, I was intrigued out of the buzz building from uh, Comic-Con and there were people who had uh, seen the pilot and said it was that year's can't miss show and seen all the advertising. So tune in to check it out and wouldn't you know, like, oh, maybe two minutes into the show, my sister-in-law calls from uh, Boston to wish me a happy birthday. So um, this was before the days of uh, TiVo and uh, DVR, at least in my home. So I just kind of let it go and I turned the volume down. And, uh, you know, so my sister-in-law is wishing me a happy birthday. And what do you know, the the engine blows up after, uh, I believe, somebody gets sucked into it. You know, that got my attention refocused on the show. And I said goodbye to uh, my sister-in-law and thanked her for the birthday wishes. And... uh, settled in to watch my first full episode of Loss. Good stuff. Now, uh, you know, we're kind of focusing on the the first season here. The podcast Mm -hmm. is uh, wrapping up, reflecting on the first season. What, uh, you know, like in those first couple of weeks that the show was on, what did you think that the Smoke Monster was? Um, Well, uh, in retrospect, uh, we've actually talked, um, there's a snippet of dialogue early on where Rose says, you know, that sounds so familiar. And a lot of people at the time were saying, you know, she, she's in on it. She knows what it is, you know, and, and we've since debunked that, that it's a, a sound effect that they later Easter egg in some episodes and things like that. 
Um, I was there with Hurley, I believe, Dinosaur, or, you know, then there was this nanobot thing floating around the internet that it might have been that. Um, you know, I just loved, I, I think I loved not knowing what it was more than knowing what it was. Um, you know, not that I was disappointed, but I, I think that's what Abrams and his guys do well. You know, they, they go back to the, to the TED speech that he gives about, you know, the magic box and the promise of something that's in, and later he references it, or Ben, I should say, references it in season three or four where he says, you know, the, imagine a, a box, anything could be inside of it, so they come back to that. And that was just so pregnant with possibility. Um, you know, we get to see it towards the end of that first season. You know, we see a little bit of the smoke, and you're like, what was that, and all that. And, you know, I know they had some shakeup in terms of producers on the show in that first season, and it was, it was a big battle. You know, how much do we show, when do we show it, that kind of thing. Yeah, certainly, you know, something I've talked about on the podcast, too, is the, like, how there was this tension um, between what had they figured out, you know, uh, as I said before, it took 11 weeks for them to get the okay for, you know, like ABC called them in and said, hey, what if you do kind of Survivor, the drama? 11 weeks later, they're, they've, you know, written the pilot, cast the show, gone to Hawaii, builds, uh, built sets, and, um, you know, shot the whole thing, edited it, scored it, and how there really wasn't a lot of time to be figuring out some of that stuff. Then there's also this issue, which I guess is more of kind of a season two issue, of... Um, you know, how much do you reveal because you don't have a sense of pacing because you don't know how many episodes ABC wants to order. Um, what are some of the things from season one that kind of stand out to you in your memory? Well, you know, it's just going to bounce off what we were saying there that, you know, I was actually waning through that second episode and I was kind of wondering, you know, is this show going to make it? Am I going to stick with it? And the, the seminal moment for me in Lost is when Locke looks down at his legs at the end of that third episode, walkabout, and he moves, and we put it together that this guy was in the real world, um, you know, paraplegic, and now the island can walk. And that, that put that show on another level for me. You know, I'll begin a couple shows every year, um, but that put it in, in special ground. And, you know, he was really a guy that, you know, came to... Um, embody a lot of the show for me you know uh, and early on they really play that up and he goes looking for the boar and everybody's you know wow this great white hunter and um, you know Boone idolizes him in such a way and we've we've talked about our similar passion for Trek and I felt that the middle third of that season really took on uh, a lot of parallels to Star Trek you know down to the the, the Boone red shirt reference and, and all that and I, I think you know I, I'm just my mind's being blown as I'm watching it that you know if we peel back the layers year after year I'm thinking man what is this show going to be in four years that kind of thing and I, I don't think any of us can really have predicted where it would have gone you know Matthew Fox you know when, when they did the finale said you know immediately afterward that you know, he had an idea how it was going to end. I, I can't possibly believe him with that, particularly when they wanted Michael Keaton to play him and they wanted to kill him off in the pilot and they wanted to make Kate the lead. You know, I, I just think the show had tremendous courage. More than a vision, it had courage, and it really didn't care um, 
I don't think they were they ever surfed for for viewers. I don't think they ever you know pled for it. They knew they were going to uh, lose people because of the nature of the storytelling. And I think it was let's tell a good, compelling story. And I think they really, really did that. Yeah, well, I know. Speaking of the viewers, I know at one point um, there was concern, maybe because you know the show did jump around in a lot of time slots um, over the course of it, and some of it had to do with the writers' strike, and and some of it was just them trying to find the right slot for the show. But I know at one point um, it was when the Nielsen ratings people had started to then count um, nightly ratings plus like nightly ratings plus twenty four hours later, which commonly was kind of looked at as VCR, and the nightly ratings plus like a week later, which was kind of like the new DVR slot. And I want to say maybe maybe season four, like when you put in the people who watch it within a week, um, they hadn't like lost anybody from the averages from the first season, which was pretty impressive. Now, obviously, you know, with the show, um, you know, winning the Emmy for Best Drama in its first season um, and some of the bu- just buzz around the show in general, I know you had some huge numbers to start out season two, but I think the numbers were pretty consistent. I mean, yeah, I think there was a drop-off, um, Maybe in seasons five and six, but that you know at that point the show, you know, was becoming a challenge. I think to some of the more casual viewers and people who maybe you know weren't, uh, I don't know, weren't uh, weren't up for the long haul, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go back to what you were saying about season one. You know, walk walk about sealed the deal for me, and I knew that I would be with this show to the end. Because as I said, you know, you got the Kate story in the in the second episode, and I was I was waning a little bit. Um, and, and maybe like uh, Locke, you know, I, I needed that faith and that, that show, uh, you know, captured that um, and stuck with it throughout, you know. And as you're getting towards the end of your first season with the podcast, you know, I just remember with bated breath watching that finale and then the first ever set of uh, DVDs, of a, of a season of DVDs I ever got for any show, uh, my in-laws for my 30th birthday got me season one, and, you know, I remember rushing home and unwrapping that and watching the finale again, and, you know, it's it's a rare show where um, you can recapture that on the second watch, and, you know, I know they, they talk about, you know, they, uh, they made a... Uh, they made a calculated decision at the end of the first season, you know, what with the hatch. Um, and they, they anchored a lot of people and, and that kind of thing. Um, but in retrospect, again, I, I think they did a tremendous job and they built that tension. And then, you know, again, what's inside there. And I remember, you know, I'm not going to blow up your, uh, your deal for, for the second season, but the beginning, but, just watching the beginning of the second season and, and seeing what's in the hatch and just your mind spinning of w- what this could be. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, no, I mean, we certainly can preview, uh, you know, can preview second season a little bit. I mean, part of the, uh, as I say often, part of the notion of the podcast is, uh, you know, it's looking back, so it's with all that we know now. Yeah, and I remember, I, I remember too, like, I felt satisfied by the finale, the first season finale, and then I was completely surprised at how upset people were. It always ended with these, you know, kind of cliffhangers. So mm-hmm. to me, I felt kind of satisfied that at the end of the first season, they had kind of come back to the, everybody getting on the plane. So there was that sense of closure. Right. Um, logically, you know, as much as kind of the raft business at the end of the first season, as much as that really hooks you in and, uh, you know, with willful suspension of disbelief, you really do believe that, um, you know, you believe that the raft is going to get get away from the island. Right. You kind of can't reasonably assume that it is is going to so the fact that it gets uh kind of you know stopped by the others um kind of no huge surprise there and to me the fact that they end with them just looking down the hatch that's like 
you know, you should have seen that one coming. Right. You know, I, I know they, when they did the cliff, uh, cliffhangers, like you said, and, you know, they always came up with a nickname, and I know that first one was called the Bagel, and that wasn't even the part where they were looking down the hatch. It was what went on with, with Michael and Sawyer and Jin on the raft and, and Walt, or shall I say, Walt. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, just such great memories. Um, I have to say I have the strongest memories of watching the, the first season finale, of watching the ultimate finale, uh, where I had you know five other people at my house for a pig roast. And, and then um, the season four finale really stands out for me as well. I, I, I think uh, they did a tremendous job with that. Um, one other thing I want to, I just want to touch on, you know, and, and we've talked about as well, you know, real, what just made Loss that much better, what rose it above, um, you know, so many other dramas was its music and uh, just the, the lay motif and the score that uh, Michael Giacchino accomplishes. And this is a guy we're going to look back in, you know, 20 years. He's going to be John Williams. There's, there's no doubt in my mind about it. Um, and, you know, he made that show. And I, I know from, you know, reading stuff and, and watching stuff with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, they would often put in the script as they were doing it, you know, and Giacchino plays the scene. And, and they, they knew the music they wanted, but not even quite, you know, what they were going to do there. They just had such, again, faith in him to do that. Um, and just the themes they began in the first season. And, you know, when, when, when the show... You know, it had its footing, but where it really gained its emotional traction was the whole Boone saga and then, you know, going looking for Locke and uh, the stuff with the hatch and, you know, this idea that, you know, the others are coming and all that and um, Rousseau coming back and um, the raft launching is another tremendously emotional moment that they reference throughout the series. And, um, you know, I, I have all of the music. I listen to it all the time in my car and on my iPod. And I just think it's something that, you know, for a long time, it's going to be something that won't be done. You know, th there's just no network or um, production company or studio that wants to pour that kind of love um, into something they would look at as, you know, sonic wallpaper, but it really, really made a difference. I noticed that you used some of Giacchino's uh, new Star Trek uh, score uh, when you begin your podcast. I was kind of curious as to the decision. Yeah, well, basically, it the it was two things. First of all, it was, you know, Giacchino is, you know, the, the effect that he has on Lost is so profound. I thought it would be interesting to not use Lost music, but to use Giacchino music to kind of you know, to, to, to go to him as somebody who can really pull emotion out of a scene and to go to a different scene in a whole different universe but still kind of pull out that emotion. Um, also, that particular clip from Star Trek, it fit well for what I was doing in terms of kind of um, a big, loud start and then kind of something quiet, you know, a little bit quieter that I could kind of fade down to as I introduce. Um, and you'll be interested to know, I've kind of set a little goal for myself, which at least for season two I've been able to do. For each season of the podcast, you know, corresponding to each season of the show, I my goal is to find a different piece of Giacchino music from non-lost sources. So, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Giacchino is just, he's a genius. And um, I already heard one comment, you know, like, get ready for him to win the Oscar for Best Music for Super 8. Um, so, yeah, I think he's just on that on that John Williams path. I totally, totally agree. Absolutely. He does a great job, and I'm looking forward to uh, what you would choose for that uh, 
that second season. Any uh, any final thoughts about uh, season one of Lost or Lost in general that you want to share with the uh, millions and millions of listeners or at least the, the couple hundred listeners? Um, I, I can sum it up for you like this. My wife has a page-a-day calendar, um, and she flipped it, and it was a, uh, a cartoon um, with uh, basically from the back – you, uh, the viewer was looking from the back, and you could clearly make out that it was Sawyer, Locke, and Hurley uh, from their behind, and they're looking at um, a boat with uh, skeletons on it, and uh, it's it's a uh, Gilligan's Island uh, joke, <laughs> and uh, they say you know the other inhabitants of the island or something like that. But, you know, I, I said to my wife, please save that, that day, and I have it. And I put it up on my, um, my pegboard next to, uh, in my office, next to my computer at home. And I just, one night I was just so motivated, I wrote in a little memo section, I wrote, I miss you, Lost. And I really, really miss that show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm into some other projects as we've talked right now but i'm i'm going to go back and, and rewatch the entire series start to finish and um you know have some things i'd like to do with that but you know we've just not seen anything uh like that show before and i'm sadly i'm pretty sure we're never going to see anything like that after you know i i think as time goes on we're only going to reflect so fondly on this show but yeah just just miss the hell out of the show and um you know we'll always have it we'll always have it i think they ended it perfectly initially i was shocked uh it just took a couple minutes to set in and went back and watched it once everybody uh left my house and and just you know cannot watch the finale to this day without you know everything coming back it's like i have a flash when when i watch that show and um you know i just thank these producers for that and i you know very excited about their work in the future and um yeah again a big thanks to pete for sharing his thoughts about the first season of lost pete is a regular contributor to the blog site geek geek.com which i thoroughly encourage everyone to check out And of course, as always, if you'd like to share feedback about the Looking Back at Lost podcast, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. There's the new call line. You can call the voicemail line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.poddean.com. And last but not least, you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. Thanks so much, and I will talk to everyone again soon with Exodus Part 2. Take care, and bye-bye.